You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Well, good morning. This is going to be a little different for me or strange in that uh, there isn't a lot of people in this church. We just have uh, Brother Corser here and Pastor. Usually during the Sunday school hour, there's uh, a couple hundred people in here. And so it's going to be a little strange for me just to kind of preach to a camera. Um, So... uh, just bear with me as I go through this. I thought uh, uh, Brother Westheimer, who brought a couple messages, messages the past couple weeks, did an outstanding job and uh, really spoke, spoke to me. And hopefully um, I can carry on what uh, Phil started as we uh, continue with this uh, lockdown and, and um, live stream. Um, this morning, I want to, title of my message is The Passion, The Love of Christ. And what I want to be able to do this morning is kind of look out to the future, um, then talk about the present a little bit, and then talk about something that happened in the past that we can really grab a hold of as we kind of deal with um, what is happening today. Um, so if you would, and again, this is a little strange for me in that uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 6, starting at verse 7. Give you a little an opportunity to get there. Uh, normally I can hear pages wrestling and, and people are looking up at me that they're there and uh, I don't have that uh, feedback uh, right now, so uh, if you would uh, turn there. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, starting at verse 7, and we'll read through verse 8, it says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the opportunity that we have to use the technology that's available to be able to live stream during uh, these uncertain times. But... uh, Lord, uh, just be with me. Uh, Use this humble servant of yours to uh, provide some uh, understanding of your word this morning so that we can use it in our lives as we uh, walk away today. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you who know me, I have this uh, scruffy beard growing and uh, a lot of people in our office that I work, um, they've all gotten together, and we've kind of uh, 
decided that we're not going to shave or cut our hair uh, during uh, this time, just to kind of, uh, you know, break up the, the monotony of things. And when we all finally get back to the office, when this, this um, is over with, we're all going to take a picture, and then we've all kind of thrown in some money to donate it to, to a special cause. But uh, that's... Um, I look a little scruffy this morning. Um, to be honest with you, I really struggled with what verse to open this message with. However, I chose this book or this ver- these verses out of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter six kind of sets the stage for the final judgment uh, that God pours out on the earth during the tribulation period. There's a summary, and then as you go through the book, um, it goes into more detail through the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments, and each one having seven proclamations. The first four proclamations of the seal judgment, you get the um, idea of there are four different horses that provide an overview of the events of the tribulation period, again described in the book a little later. The first horse is the white horse, and that symbolizes the Antichrist as he comes on the scene. Then there's a red horse symbolizing war and conflict. The black horse symbolizing economic collapse and famine. And then the last horse, the fourth horse, is a pale horse. That pale, as interpreted in scripture, is kind of a putrid yellow-green color. And this horse symbolizes war, famine, and death, or death by pestilence. Pestilence is a kind of a scriptural term for disease. So this pale horse will usher in War, symbolized by the sword, hunger, symbolized by famine, and then death through pestilence. And the book says that at least 25% of the human race will be eliminated because of uh, what this horse represents. In both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they reference the judgment of God in Israel as well as Judah and they continuously mention the sword, the famine, and the pestilence that God will bring judgment upon Israel because of their sinfulness. And of course, that happened uh, through uh, Nebuchadnezzar's um, activities that uh, leveled uh, Jerusalem. In the beginning of Matthew 24, starting at verse 7, and Luke 21:11, Jesus warns us of these last day judgments, but also tells us that the earth will experience these things prior to the tribulation as a precursor and warning to us that these things will happen. If you turn to Matthew chapter 24, and you know, I have an hour to go over my lesson. Uh, Normally during a 
the class, I have about 30 to 40 minutes, so this is going to be, uh, again, a unique experience for me. But if you turn to Matthew chapter 24, at least I hear the two guys' pages wrestling here. <laughs> Starting at verse 6, it says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus warns us that as we get closer and closer to the time of the tribulation, that these things were going to, are going to increase. We're, start, we're going to start to experience these things. And I personally think that that time is drawing close. And so uh, as we kind of look to today, we have this virus or this global pandemic. And again, I want to remind you that this should be no surprise to us. Remember, Jesus warned us. Um, also, we have the book of Revelation that talks about it. Throughout Scripture, we're warned about these things, and it should not be a surprise to us. So the latest statistics on this virus, as of, uh, I think, Friday 4-3, um, currently dubbed the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, or SARS-CoV-2, or for short, we call it COVID-19, has been associated with more than 830,000 active cases globally, with more than 59,000 deaths. In the U.S., there are more than 257,000 active cases, and of course this continues to escalate since Friday, um, and has been associated with over 7,500 deaths. We've had similar type viruses that have kind of trans transferred through the globe um, over the past years, one called MERS, which is called the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And there was another SARS-type virus that um, also went through the earth prior to this. The SARS-CoV-2 appears to be more serious than the flu. These are all flu-type viruses, but it's not the deadliest. Others, such as Ebola, have higher mortality rates. Of course, we're just getting into this. This was uh, uh, an early article on this. So um, those are the statistics, okay? So what does this virus actually do? You know, we've been asked to stay within six feet of one another, even asked to wear masks. Um, I guess there's been... Uh, over time, uh, studies done that when a person sneezes, 
it travels at a maximum of six feet. So we have to kind of do this uh, social distancing new term uh, within six feet. Um, it's also possible that this virus remains on surfaces or objects and can be transferred by touch. The virus enters the body from what we understand through the nose or through the mouth. And um, I'm sure a lot of you have seen pictures of this virus, but it is a round ball with all these little spikes coming out of it. And these spikes are little proteins. And uh, I always thought a protein was good for you. Um, you know, when we work out and uh, we, a lot of people take these protein shakes to stay healthy and that kind of thing, but this protein is a problem. And what happens as this protein kind of gets into your nasal passages and down your throat and makes its way through what's called the upper respiratory tract, which is everything above the lungs, uh, these little proteins kind of grab into and find little areas in cells that they can then get into, replicate, and then kill the cells. Now, if someone has a good immune system, that's kind of where it stops. The body's able to take care of it, get rid of the um, virus, and it's taken care of. But in um, a lot of cases, um, it starts to travel down through because the immune system is not as strong and comes down through the bronchial tubes and then into the lungs. Um, prior to that, some people may get a dry cough or shortness of breath, fever or headaches, and muscle pain and tiredness, but again, for those that have a good immune system, poof, it's taken care of. But as some, it travels into the lungs, and this is where it gets to be a problem, and this is where this virus really likes to reside. Um, what happens is, uh, again, it gets into the cells, the immune system then has a response, and it starts to create these thick layers in the lungs to try to combat uh, the virus and, and isolate it. And as this thick layer begins to build and build on the lungs, the oxygen that's taken in by the individual can't get into the bloodstream. And um, what happens is you get a buildup of carbon dioxide in your lungs your, your blood doesn't have the oxygen um, to get to the other organs of your body. And you also develop pneumonia or bronchitis as a result of it. And again, I'm just going over this at a very high level so that you can understand what is happening today. Um, and then uh, as pneumonia occurs, you start to build fluid up in your lungs, and you've heard about these ventilators. 
So what uh, a lot of states are doing is, you know, we're building ventilators, GMs building ventilators, Fords building, building ventilators. I mean, a lot of private businesses and corporations and things are really trying to help the situation out. So they put a person on a ventilator to try to pump the oxygen into the lungs and kind of force that into the cells to try to try to help the situation and uh, build up the resistance in the body. And um, if that is not successful, and of course they're trying to develop other drugs to try to combat this, um, if this is not successful, what happens is um, you start to have a shutdown of your organs and, um, and death. Um, now, they say that between 1% and 3% of the cases that test, that test positive for this uh, go through this, um, end up in death. Right now in the U.S., if you look at the statistics, it's about 2.6%. Um, those that are susceptible to this um, are right now people that are 70 and older, um, people with pulmonary abnormalities, abnormalities, chronic disease, compromised immune systems, cancer patients, um, also people that have been exposed to high levels of pollution, heavy smokers, and I just want to make a comment, something that's gone through a lot of our youth is this vaping. Vaping, if you read about it, uh, one of these little vape uh, wafers is like inhaling 10 packs of cigarettes. And these people are susceptible to this virus. Also the obese, diabetics, and those with high blood pressure. So that is a lot of people. So, you know, this creates a lot of anxiety in us. As Pastor mentioned at the beginning, there's job loss. We have to deal with these lockdowns. Uh, we got to stay separated from one another. You know, I love coming to church. I love interacting with the people of Fellowship Baptist. And I'm sure some of you that are joining that um, are in other churches, there's something about being with God's people. And this separation is, has made it difficult. Um, there's also food shortages. And dare I talk about toilet paper? Hospitals are overrun with patients, which is right now the states, all the states are, are dealing with. And, um, but I want to tell you, Jesus told us that these things will happen. And what should our mindset be? I, I know pastors been having um, uh, little devotions on Monday, Wednesday, 
and Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Because I'm working from home, and I'm committed to working uh, during the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., but I do listen. Uh, my wife and I and my children do listen, listen to those messages a little later. But um, on Friday, he kind of touched a little bit on how we need to um, be, you know, lean on the Lord through this. Lean on one another because, again, the Lord told us these things were going to happen. We as Christians should understand. And one thing that kind of brings this all together is, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 4. And this should be our mindset. Starting at verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. And that, that word moderation means have the appropriate um, response. Don't freak out over things, but be very uh, patient and under control. Be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful, or be that word careful, we interchange that with the word being anxious. Not to be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, <clears throat> living on this earth is only temporal. And I'm, uh, at the end of this message, I want to address believers and versus unbelievers. And I am assuming there may be a few unbelievers that are turning in uh, to this um, message this morning. But... Um, we're to, we're to get our minds off of these daily um, tragedies and daily things that kind of uh, toss us to and fro, and we're to get our mind on Christ. He, as Pastor mentioned again this morning, he's in control of all things. We're not. We're to lean on him, and we're to have this mind of Christ, we're to be able to witness when we can and uh, just, you know, look to him for direction. This is where our hearts and minds or our souls need to be connected so that we can get through these situations in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him, that we rejoice in it, that um, we have, and it, and it talks about this um, peace with God that passes all understanding. You know, as we go to the, the grocery store, um, my wife last night went to, I can't remember if it was Sam's Club or, or um, Walmart, but the, a lot of the shelves are empty. It's crazy. And people are, you know, all concerned about being six feet apart and uh, 
and uh, it's, it is a just crazy situation that we find ourselves in. But we're not to be reacting in a way that um, is out of control. God is in control, not us. And we, when we try to gain control, we find ourselves in this anxiety of having to, to deal with everything. So now I have talked a little bit about the future. We've kind of dealt a little bit with where we find ourselves currently. So I want to go back to, to the past. <coughs> Excuse me. And kind of relate this to how Christ himself dealt with uh, a very difficult situation. And I don't want to minimize the fact that, you know, we do have, there are people dying from this. Um, But I want to tell you something. Our Lord went through something that none of us will ever experience or, or go through in our lifetimes. And it's very difficult for us to really relate to it other than what we have in Scripture. This week is what we call Holy Week. And today um, is the celebration of Palm Sunday. And um, if you would, turn to John chapter 12, verse 12. And we're going to kind of start off about with this week because by the end of this week, On Friday, the Lord was crucified. And I want to talk about that a little bit as to what he went through. But the start of the week in John chapter 12, verse 12. Give me a minute to get there. And we'll read down through... Uh, verse 27. It says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. And Hosanna in the Hebrew means save now. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, A little insight into this is that the people were looking for a worldly king to take them out of this Roman occupation that they have been dealing with. And they were thinking at this time that Christ was that king. And so as Jesus enters into um, Jerusalem, uh, they... They start throwing palm trees and laying down their clothes and yelling, Hosanna. In verse 14, it says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written. Now, um, it's Jewish tradition that as they uh, anointed a king, um, he would ride upon an ass and they would decorate the ass, and then they would throw their clothes as he would 
march through in a procession up to the um, residence where the king would stay. So, um, just a little insight as to um, what it says um, uh, in verse 16. These things understood, <clears throat> as it, or I'm sorry, verse 14, as it ends with, as it is written. And it also forecasted um, in uh, not only Isaiah, but other prophets that this very uh, activity would have happened in Jerusalem. So it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then in reference to the resurrection, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. So a lot of the people came um, not necessarily to to worship Jesus, but to see this guy that had raised this man from the dead in the name of Lazarus. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Of course, the Pharisees were very jealous of Jesus and um, they continuously uh, wanted to get rid of him and get rid of him means they wanted to kill him and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast the same came before Philip which was of Bethsaida of Galilee and desire him saying sir we would see Jesus Philip cometh and telleth Andrew and again Andrew and Philip telleth Jesus and Jesus answered them saying now a lot of people just came to see Jesus because of they heard about all the things that he had done, all the miracles he had done, all the healing he had done. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Jesus knew kind of the mindset of the people that were coming to witness this event of Palm Sunday. And he knew that a lot of it was just, you know, it was uh, something novel that they wanted to see. But Jesus wanted to explain to the apostles that, you know, this is, there's a purpose in all this. And I have been teaching you and teaching you and teaching you. It is now 
coming to pass. This is the hour. It was Jesus' purpose that this was to save humanity from the damnation of hell. And ever since Jesus' birth, and he was the Son of God, but he came man, and he had, just like you and I, he, has, he had these, these feelings. Um, you know, he ate and drank, and he grew, and he was just like a man. But I want to tell you, even though he was God, to be able to, since he was born, up through... Um, Currently, he's about 30, he is 33, knowing, knowing that in his final hours on this earth, he is to die and carry the burden for us of the sins of humanity from the time of Adam through the new heaven and the new earth. And you know, some of us as parents, as we deal with some of our children that seem to have gone astray, or that anxiety that we feel, you know, is very difficult to carry. Even, you know, some of us, it's, you know, something happens at work, or all these things that just kind of trouble us and weigh us down and kind of make us difficult to, to really get through life until these things are solved. Can you imagine taking that type of feeling that we go through and multiplying that times the number of people that were born from the time of Adam to the end of time? Can you imagine carrying that, that burden? So after that... <clears throat> Jesus' teaching, he was relentless, even more so than he had before, because he knew what was going to happen by the end of the week. So then, I'm going to say it's around Wednesday, uh, he and the apostles get together in what we call the upper room for the Last Supper. Uh, he, being the Son of God, uh, shows some humility and servitude by washing the apostles' feet. One of the apostles, he acknowledges um, uh, being Judas Iscariot will betray him. And he also talks to Peter about his denial. And after all that is done, of course, I'm, I'm putting this in a capsule to get to uh, where I want to get to here. Um, Afterwards, they then go to the Mount of Olives in a place called Gethsemane, where Jesus goes to pray. And um, as he's there, um, he is intense prayer. These apostles that were his closest friends have fallen asleep. And, the, and can you ma imagine the mental anguish that Jesus is going through? And then shortly after, he's arrested. But what I want to read to you in the few minutes that I, that I have, there was an um, evaluation done by, 
And there's many doctors that have gone through this and evaluated the passion of Christ. Um, and I just happened to pick one particular one by Dr. Truman Davis, and it was quoted by Bill Gothard in the Men's Manual in the Institute for Basic Life back in 1996. Um, so I just want to read this to you, what Christ went through from a medical perspective. As we have gone through some of the medical perspectives of this virus, I want you to understand a little bit of what Christ went through. And this is just a summary, but uh, I just want to read this to you. <coughs> Excuse me. The physical trauma of Christ begins in Gethsemane with one of the initial aspects of his suffering, the bloody sweat. It is interesting that the physician of the group, St. Luke, is the only one to mention this. He says, in being in agony, he prayed the longer, and his sweat became as drops of blood trickling down upon the ground. Though very rare, the phenomenon of hemothydrosis, or body, bloody sweat, is well documented. Under great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. A soldier strikes Jesus across the face for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards then blindfolded him and mockingly, mockingly taunted him to identify them as they each passed by, spat on him, and struck him in the face. This is the Son of God, our Creator. In the early morning, Jesus battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, is taken across Jerusalem to the praetorium of the fortress Antonia. It was there, in response to the cries of the mob, that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to scourging and crucifixion. Preparations for the scourging are carried out. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forward with the flagrum in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead and sharp bone fragments attached to the end of each of these thongs. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and leg. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into his subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries in the veins of the skin and finally spurting arterial bleeding from the vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back 
is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is stopped. The half-fading Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in this provincial Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe across his soldiers and place a stick in his hand for a scepter. A small bundle of flexible branches covered with long thorns is pressed into his scalp. Again, this is copious bleeding, the scalp being one of the most vascular areas in the body. Anybody that's cut their head, it's, been very, it's very difficult to stop the bleeding because of that area of the body. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the stick from his hand and strike him across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, they tire of their sadistic sport, and the robe is torn from his back. This had already become adherent to the cult clots of blood and serum in the wounds, and its removal, <coughs> just as the careless removal of a surgical bandage caused excruciating pain, almost as though he were being whipped, and the wounds again begin to bleed. The heavy beam, called the patabolum, weighs approximately 110 pounds. Of the cross is tied across to soldiers, and the procession of the condemned Christ, Toothies, and the execution detail begins its slow journey. The weight of the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by the copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and falls. Now, a lot of us have this picture of this cross being carried to Golgotha. But really, the way it took place was this beam weighing, you know, 110, 120 pounds is laid across the shoulders and their arms are tied to this beam and they have to carry this to um, to their place of execution. He stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into his lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscle had been pushed beyond their endurance. And Simon of Cyrene is then commissioned to carry the cross the rest of the way. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Most of us kind of have the imagery that the nails were driven through his hand, but they were actually driven through his wrist. And um, because if they were driven through his hand as he hung on the cross, they, they, the nails would just cut through his hand and he would fall down. But in the wrist you have a bunch of nerves that go 
into the hand. There's bones in there. So as they drove those nails into his, into his wrist, these nerves just shot pain up to his body. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The beam is then lifted in place at the top of the post called stipes. The posts were already there um, prior to uh, their travel up to Golgotha. And the titulus, or a document of sensing, reading Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed in place above his head. The left foot is placed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arc of each, knees bent at a 45-degree angle. As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Each time he does this, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones and the feet. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps weep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the, cramp <clears throat> and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermediate partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress. The heart, <clears throat> the compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their blood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps, I thirst. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, strains his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Apparently to make doubly sure of death, the legionnaire drove his lance through the fifth inner space between the ribs, upward through the pericardium and into the heart. <coughs> Excuse me. Immediately there came out blood and water. We therefore have rather conclusive post-mortem evidence that our Lord died, not the usual crucifixion, death of suffocation, because normally they would break the bones of the knees and then those hanging on the cross would just die because they can't take in oxygen 
because they won't be able to push themselves up and down. But if heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid in the pericardium. The prophet Isaiah penned uh, these words similar to this 700 years before the passion of our Lord in Isaiah chapter 53. I don't want to read it. You can go, go to that. But I just want to conclude by saying, I watched my dad die of cancer. It was difficult to witness. I mean, it was awful. However, I do not believe there is anything that any of us will ever endure that will compare to the humiliation, pain, agony, brutality that the Son of God went through on our behalf so that we could have eternal life. It was our sins that pushed the thorns into his head, that ripped open his body through scourging and nailed him to the cross. Believer, you should be forever grateful that heaven is your home. And keep Philippians 4 in mind as we deal with things today. And it's funny, as Pastor prayed this morning, I also want to say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I also want to speak to the unbeliever this morning. As we read in Revelation chapter 6, the pale horse brings death with hell following, which is your destiny. However, if you believe that that work on the cross is a reconciliation between your sin and a holy God, that destiny can change today. Remember, life is but a vapor. Because James 4.14 tells us, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Jesus dealt with a pandemic, and that pandemic was the sin of this world. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.